Hi, my name is Joel Miller, and today we are on my podcast, Party Like a Rockstar. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an L.A.-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese spreads on the market today. They're delicious and healthy, made from a cashew and almond milk and blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. There's no vegetable oils, soy, fillers, starches, or nutritional yeast. It's lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, parev, and 100% vegan. In 1963, Lou Says became the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. He did a lot of that. Winning, I mean. The same year, my first guest, Al Snow, was born. Al is an American professional wrestler, actor, professional wrestling trainer, and promoter. He's best known for his in-ring work in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Extreme Championship Wrestling, and World Wrestling Entertainment. Snow has held various backstage positions for professional wrestling promotions. He's worked as a road agent for Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, later Impact Wrestling, from 2010 to 2017, and has owned Ohio Valley Wrestling since 2018. If you haven't read his book, Self-Help, Life Lessons from the Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow, I urge you to grab a copy. My second guest is Aaron Stevens, AKA Damian Sandow. He was born in 1982, the year Ric Flair defeated Kerry Von Erich to become the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. From 2003 to 2006, Sandow wrestled in WWE's developmental territory, Ohio Valley Wrestling, under the tutelage of Al Snow. He currently wrestles for National Wrestling Alliance and was the first ever Impact Grand Champion in 2016. There's my intro. <laughs> it's like uh, the show to get through that part but um to start it all out i'd be interested to know like how you guys began your career so aaron i read up a bit you were 16 years old and you started going into wrestling you're yes. a big fella how come not football or any other sports why were you so focused on wrestling um honestly i was about five or six years old i was at a department store with my mother and they had those old school arcade games you know, like the big ones. And, um, and I just distinctly remember this. Um, I was told if I behaved myself, I could go play one. So my mother, um, gave me a quarter. I put it in and it just happened to be a pro wrestling game. I didn't know what I was doing. I lost. And it was there that my, uh, infatuation, shall we say with professional wrestling happened. And uh, I just was like, that's it. I'm going to be a wrestler. And it just never kind of went away. And, uh, from there I kind of, weaseled my way into uh killers at about 16 and um that was it yeah i had the wwf uh stand-up arcade in my house nice <laughs> it was oh, so nice. much fun it mm-hmm. was really good all right al how about you man um well i made the decision when i was 14 years old that i was going to be a professional wrestler and um there was never a plan b that was the only plan um I, before the age of the internet, I would walk to the local public library and I would, um, they had uh, telephone books, white pages for all of the major cities in the United States. And um, I used to get the old after magazines and they would list in there uh, where the office was for particular territories. So like the Mid-Atlantic was the Crockett's office, which was in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I'd go down there and get the phone book and pull up uh, Jim Crockett seniors, Jim Crockett promotions, the office. And then what I did was I would once a month, I would call all of the different offices um, 
you know, it got to the point that they recognized my voice. Sometimes they'd hang up on me. Sometimes if they were bored, they'd try to rib me, you know, they'd, uh, they'd try to talk me out of it. And, um, finally, when I was in high school, uh, the last year of high school, um, they ran a wrestling show as a fundraiser and, um, they used, uh, Dick, the bruiser, um, Dick Affles, he out of Indianapolis, uh, ran the show for them. Uh, and the guy that worked on the show, a guy by the name of Jim Lancaster was starting his own promotion. And, um, I contacted him, um, and, uh, he turned me down and wouldn't refuse to train me. And, um, then I, uh, I got a hold of uh, Jim Crockett Promotions again and spoke to Gene Anderson. They were having a tryout like in October of that year. Um, took a 24-hour bus ride to Charlotte, which was probably one of the most inhumane things to ever do to anybody. <laughs> and uh, walked about five miles from the bus station in downtown Charlotte out to the uh, arena, the old Charlotte Coliseum. Um Got in there, and um, the next day on Sunday, we went. I went in and basically uh, got brutally exhausted and blown up, and then uh, got the literal crap beat out of me, and broke my nose. And um, you know, they sent me home. Cost me two hundred fifty. Oh, we lost you. If you can hear me, I can hear Hold you. I, I'm so I, I my for whatever reason my internet is kind of spotty today. I don't know why. You went down there and then uh, they broke your nose. Yeah, they beat the crap out of me. Ole Anderson beat the crap out of me and broke my nose. And um, and then uh, I came back, spoke to Jim Lancaster, who was starting promoting shows. And, um, and he wanted his own crew of guys. And I convinced him to train me. And, uh, and then the rest is history. May 22nd of 1982 was my very first match. Wow. <laughs> so were your parents always really supportive of you going for this or Aaron's or mine well, Aaron was born <laughs> the year you started your career <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so uh, I was I was I was your parents Al I mean you're a kid you come back with yeah. a busted up nose but you've been wanting to do it for years yeah so I assume you um, weren't turned away at all but um, my mother and my, my father and mother supported it, you know, supported me. My mother's support, though, she would always show up at shows, but she was never too thrilled until I really, you know, uh, I became more of a national uh, attraction, I guess you could say, because I started, you know, um, showing up more on TV where people would not notice me and see me. Um, but before that, I think I remember one of her statements was, are you are you trying to kill me? And um, I was like, no, if I were going to do that, I'd just push you down the stairs. So I love it. No cuts. Just that's what I would do, mom. Not that I've, not that I've thought about it, mom. But yeah. So, were, did you do other sports when you were a kid? Were you in good shape when you went out there? Or did you think? Um, well, I thought I was before I would, you know, with uh, I trained in martial arts, uh, karate and jujitsu and a little bit of Kung Fu and, um, you know, uh, some, a little bit of Muay Thai and, and, um, a bit of, uh, actual boxing. Um, but nothing could, you know, nothing could prepare you for, you know, uh, you've got to be in ring wrestling ring shape. You've got to mm. just get in the ring and wrestle. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's the only, mm -hmm. yeah, I think Aaron will agree. You can't, uh, there's nothing you can do that will get you in there. 
yeah, it, it's so weird because like you're having to breathe, you're having to, um, you know, you, you know, you're picking people up and I mean, other people's lives are in your hands, so you kind of can't mess up. And then considering all that, you also have to think when you're in there. And sometimes, you know, when you think, if you're starting, when you think you forget to breathe and if you forget to breathe and everything just goes, I think you taught me that Al. Yeah. You gotta <laughs> breathe. Yes. Yeah. But it, it is, it's like it, the only training for wrestling is to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your first uh, time in the ring? Like you got your ass kicked too, or did you do all right? No, I, um, it was weird because uh, killer was very good to me. I, I was the only 16 year old there. So he kind of like took me under his wing, but then, um, so my first time in the ring was pleasant. But then once, um, you know, I started, I was a regular, uh, not so much, you know, and, and you got roughed up. It wasn't anything like Al, but, um, you know, they, they would, they would rough you up a little bit and you just kind of, you learn it, you take it and you go there and, uh, you know, with, uh, with Ole Anderson, that was a definitely a different experience. So Ole was, uh, known for that. What for roughing you up? Yeah. I, I, right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah. yeah. Well, Ole was a sadistic guy. He was a very sadistic bastard. Yeah, yeah I, that's you know what I wanted you to say it Al. That's all. I just because yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I never actually met him. So he had a brilliant mind for the wrestling business. That's for sure. And um, and you know, brilliant Booker. And in a time uh, frame that where you didn't buy a house in a territory, like Ole was able to buy a house in Charlotte and you know live there for you know years and was mm-hmm. was a uh, on the top of the card, um, attraction, uh, can maintain his heat as a heel, uh, for a very long time. So that, that's, a, that's a rare situation back in those days. Mm-hmm. He was booking two territories. He was booking, uh, Dunkel's territory in Atlanta. I think Dunkel wasn't, uh, wasn't his territory at that time. I forget who, who took over. I think Jack and Jerry Briscoe and somebody else owned the territory when, Oli was booking that territory when it was on WTBS um, and it had its, its huge national run. Um, and cause it was the first national territory of uh, national exposure was TBS um, for uh, Georgia championship wrestling. And then um, he was also booking in, in Charlotte at the same time um, running that office as well. So, you know, Oli was a very talented person, but he just was such a, a, a mean, grumpy, sadistic bastard. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, going through some of your guys' history here, I'm reading through the storylines and whatnot, and I think you're both pretty fucked up. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> pretty brutal. I've got some. I've got some questions. So, um. What happened to Pepper, Al? Uh, Pepper was near my heart until I had a bowel movement. So, <laughs> um. I, I'm reading, so and then I'm looking. I watched the video. There was a lot of meat on the plate. <laughs> the dog was I, uh, really small. You the dog was small, but you could stretch that dog for a mile. I mean, you could take it. You could. You'd be surprised. You know, it's like you know everybody eats chicken, and if you you know if you eat one cat, everybody freaks out, and it's one of the cleanest animals on the planet. I mean, you know. Mm. So you clean up your neighborhood one animal at a time, or what? <laughs> All right, pepper's, pepper's gone. All right, there's yeah. There's one question down. Uh, if you eat one cat, hold on. Ah, there I am. What'd you say? 
I said that everybody, you know, eats chicken and it's one of the dirtiest animals on the planet. You eat one cat, everybody freaks out. Because chicken tastes good. Hey, do you ever wonder why cats lick themselves? It's because they're delicious. Okay. Uh, are you looking at any cats, Aaron? I don't have any pet cats. I don't. No, yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I, I haven't recently. No. Right. Um, don't know what you're missing. You know. Yeah. What? In that vein. Turn the grill down. What storylines um, have been off limits in your career? Have there been any times where they've said to you, "Don't go down this road. Um, we don't want to," or anything like that? Um, yeah, I had, uh, with the head, I had, um, multiple heads I was going to use to represent different personality aspects. They're going to help me, hate me, love me, uh, um, different, you know, to just add depth to the character and, mm. and Vince, mm. Vince Ixnade that. And, um, and then, um, there was a storyline idea where I was, you know, um, we kind of started it where, um, I was I'd be with Bob and Crash Holly and uh, in a six-man tag, and I would turn on them. Uh, I would be with the Hardy Boys, and I would, in the match, I'd turn on them. And then at some point, they were all going to come back, and they were all going to attack me and beat the shit out of me. And um, I'd be off TV for a couple weeks, and then um, um, I'd come back out, out on TV, standing on the uh, stage, with Bob and Crash in the ring, and I'd just point, and an air raid siren would go off, and from underneath the ring, uh, 20 midgets all dressed alike would attack uh, Bob and Crash. It would be called the Swarm. And uh, mm. Vince kind of put an nickname on that one. Uh, he didn't <laughs> want to do the 20 midget thing. So 19 midgets? Well, payroll. Payroll. Right. Payroll, yeah. <laughs> less midgets, less money. Listen, you can always short them on their pay. So. <laughs> What's the most expensive storyline you remember? Because uh, like watching, watching you eat the dog in the hotel room wasn't exactly the most expensive spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if there was really one storyline that really cost an enormous amount of money, um, you know, per se. Um, some were more fun than others, but, you know. Um, the head one, I mean, reading up on it, that's all you. You came up with the whole idea behind all of it. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really brilliant from going through them. I, I it, it's really smart. So, well, thank you. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great idea. I, I thought it was really good. And then, you know, just reading up on this, I'm never been a huge wrestling guy. So it, it was interesting. And then Aaron now, so to ask you, you did this whole impersonation thing. Where did you come up with the ideas every, every, what is it? We, uh, I didn't, um, Pretty much what happened was, um, you know, character wise, um, I was in a spot to where I had the money in the bank briefcase and ended up losing the briefcase, which was like a world title opportunity. And, um, you know, I had given them about like three or four different ideas and they said, okay, great. And then I got to TV and then, okay, you're dressing up as someone new every week. And, you know, they had done that with people in the past and it really never kind of worked out. So, with me, it was just like, okay, I, um, I'm Daniel Boone. I think that was one of them, right? Or David Crockett or something. So like I said, I look, this is live TV. I'm not going to half-ass any of this. So like I went on my phone, researched like the old Fez Parker type stuff. And then I just did it. Um, there was another time when... Did you go up to uh, the winery to do some research? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Good. 
I, I've heard of it. Yes, I, I, I heard. Um, uh, there was another one when I was an interpretive dancer and they're like, okay, so you're just going to wear like this guy's pants and do that. And I was like, no, I go, you are to get me a onesie leotard. It, in, it is to be flesh colored. Sure enough, they send someone out and they come back with the onesie flesh colored leotard. Um, so lo and behold, now we're on raw. Here I come. And I had a ribbon on a string and everything. Well, my grandmother would watch every, you know, she'd go over to my parents' house and watch every Monday. And when I came out, she just started screaming, oh my God, he's bare ass. He's bare ass. Apparently that was the big thing. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that was not, not grandma's favorite. That favorite one. But it, question is your family proud of you guys and i guess you just answered it poor grandma <laughs> no no they were they were like they would go to every show i mean if, I, if we were in a hundred mile radius i'd have like 20 or 30 of them there i mean it was yeah cool that's and they would embarrass cool. me well, that's good what about you al is the family over do your kids still think you're cool or <laughs> yeah i mean it, it first when you know my career first started everybody thought it was a bit of a joke and you know, family members. But then once, once you get on national TV, that changed everything. Then uh, everybody comes out of the closet. And, you know, I've always supported you, and you know, mm -hmm. I'm always there for you. It's like, <laughs> uh huh, yeah, okay. Yep. Well, you know, buddy's made funny with a broken nose as a kid, <clears throat> where you went out for tryouts and yeah. <laughs> so, who do you think did uh, Bruce Springsteen better here, uh, Al? Was it was it our friend Aaron or was it Adam Sandler? <laughs> <laughs> that's okay i mean you know you just to give aaron credit i watched him sing some of it in there and i thought you did a pretty decent job you know what no that that was a, a one-off and i've uh <laughs> you know i, I definitely <laughs> say adam will win that one <laughs> so what's it like so for me with I, you know, I worked in the music industry for a few minutes and so we have we have big audiences sometimes mm -hmm. uh, i said with rock and reels two hundred seventy thousand people with you guys at WrestleMania and these big events, they are big events. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of people there. So oh, yeah. You're walking out. You're not with a band. You guys have awesome intros. I love the big video board and stuff. But uh, what's the feeling like as you're walking towards the stage? What do you do if you do break your nose? Uh, how often does the storyline change? I'm figuring there's a lot of that. Not the breaking part, but the storyline quickly changing. And then how much of it is just stuff? Is everything choreographed completely or? I don't I can't speak for now. Um, I can tell you that, you know, in the past, I mean, it was just a, a real large part of it was your ability to improv and mm -hmm. just think on your feet and, and pay attention to the audience and and live in the moment. And, um, you know, for me. I know a lot of people, you know, Mick Foley and I argue about this, you know, walking out in front of a hundred thousand people is, is amazing, but it's, it's just as amazing to walk out in front of a hundred for me. Yeah. Um, because, you know, um, getting in that ring and being able to uh, tell a physical story um, that I can get those people to connect and emotionally react mm -hmm. Um you know, um, and do it the way I want them to, as much as I want them to, when I want them to, to finally, uh, for want of a better term, climax, you know, to what a term we call pop to pop their nut at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing that makes you feel more alive that mm -hmm. that ability to be able to do that. And, and, and again, it, it's easier to do it with a hundred thousand people, quite honestly, 
than it is to do it with a hundred um, because that hundred thousand people are amped up and are, are there for the event and they're ready to go. So, you know, manipulating their emotions, taking them on a ride, they're primed, you know, you, you, cause you can't pull water out of a dry well, you got to always prime the pump, but I, those hundred people are more of a challenge because they're, they're a lot, they're less anonymous. You know, there's not, there's not much anonymity with a hundred people in a well-lit building as compared to a hundred thousand people in a dark, half darkened stadium. And uh, you know, it's, but, and it's a testament to your abilities and your skills, but both are just, are an incredible feeling to go out and be able to do that in front of. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's really interesting because, you know, to, to Al's point, like pro wrestling is the only genre of entertainment where when we go out there, like there's, we want them to go on the spectrum of emotions, right? We want people to cheer. We want people to boo. We want people to smile. We want people to feel robbed at times. Right. Um, and like, you know, if you're playing a music show, you want the audience into it, right? You want everyone banging their head or everyone kind of just grooving and, and like you get your applause at the end. Well, sometimes in wrestling in uh, the majority of my career, like, no, I wanted people throwing stuff at me and booing me and call me every name in the book. And it's such an interesting feeling. And um, there, there really is nothing in the world that can duplicate it because you literally have, you know, your whole spectrum of emotions. And if you're in there with a good dance partner, you know, if you're both skilled and by skilled, you know, you're not going out there and you're not rehearsing every single thing you did because it just becomes so formulaic. And in my opinion, the audience loses its connection and you miss out on so many moments, like the best moments in my career. And uh, since I've kind of come back into wrestling the last year or so, like even in, in NWA, like where you just have to go with what the audience is doing because that's, that is the true magic of what we do. And, you know, it, it's funny because like wrestling has always been maybe not now so much, but like, like the, the bottom rung of the entertainment totem pole, but true. the actual skill level it takes um, to, to where like, you have to be so uninhibited. I mean, we're out there on live TV in front of 10,000 people in our underpants twice a week. Yeah. Okay. So just to do that, right? I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Yeah. But then to like, no, I want these people to hate me. You know, I I, I want to get a smoothie thrown at my car or something like that. Like that is the it, it is the true magic of it. To where when that happens, you go, all right, awesome. Well, the black underwear helps. The black yes look for hatred. It's it's, it's <laughs> but it 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 also to Aaron's point, you you know, it's kind of like stand up comedy in that you have to be as a performer, you have to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. you have to be honest yeah. with yourself and you have to be honest in who you are because mm -hmm. the audience can tell you know it's not like film or tv where they're not connecting directly with you um they can sense if you're a fraud and and then, then they're not gonna they're not gonna buy into what you're doing do you guys and there's no second takes yeah, no that's true no do you guys like do like meet and greets yeah you do that stuff too mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, we do. We do those yep. type of things, too. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, which is weird. It's like when I left WWE, I did about six months and I, I wasn't familiar with it. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is cool. It's like you get to kind of a, appreciate a different side of the business and you see, you know, you get to meet fans in a more um, unrestricted environment, which is is cool. Well, the interactions, nice. yeah. I mean, like so I worked for Poison and Brett Michaels, there'd mm -hmm. be a long queue of people at the end of the night to meet them. 
I think that might have been like his favorite part about the show. He loved it. He would wait mm-hmm. there and he would hand, mm-hmm. he would shake everyone's hands mm-hmm. and pictures and mm-hmm. he really enjoyed yeah. it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was cool to see. Yeah. So what do you guys do? So for in the music industry, you know, we got a sound problem or whatever, the guys start playing Led Zeppelin. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you do when there's a technical problem? You have to just wrestle through it. You just said there's there's one take. I mean, so you mm-hmm. yeah, you just go. Well, you just grab a hold. I mean, that's yeah. that's the, that's it. You grab a hold. You know, we're we're trying to the one thing, the only thing that's that's not real in professional wrestling is just that we know who's going to win before we walk out there. So yeah. we're trying to sell that belief, create that illusion for you that, you know, that that win and that loss have a consequence to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if something goes wrong, something's not exactly the way it needs to be. We just have to continue to make you believe and never yeah. allow that illusion to be interrupted that, you know, that we're out there trying to win. That's it. Sometimes the ring breaks. I mean, I've had top ropes break yeah. on me. I, I mean, it just, you got to go. You with never it. know. Yeah. The, the number one rule in wrestling is to take shit and make shoe polish. That's yep. it. <laughs> yeah. I figure though, the rope breaks at the end and you're done in the back. Like, that was awesome, dude. Did you see that? Yeah. Well, like, if it breaks, when you, it breaks at the right time. Great. If yeah. It breaks at the wrong time, <laughs> yes. You got to figure true. it out. You got to, yep. you got to, you got to take shit and make shoe polish. Mm-hmm. So when Aaron was at Ohio, Ohio Valley wrestling, um, yeah. How many people were there with you? I assume you're going to say that Aaron had promise. I think that's probably pretty safe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I always saw that in there. Yeah. And they did, Aaron did it, you know, developed this act with Beth Phoenix and Shelly Martinez there at one point. And I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was a great act. And like, I remember, Aaron, remember when we, we did the angle with Goose Mahoney and Ethan. Oh my God. Yes. uh, Briscoe, the referee. And yes. Um, it was like one of the first live events that we had completely sold out the building. It was that awesome. Match. That yeah. was so good. I mean, yeah, yeah like we, we had a town and uh, like before Al was our trainer, we would go to this town. It's about probably like 40 miles outside of Louisville. And we would go there and then, you know, every week, I mean, we'd have maybe a hundred people we would yeah. have, you know, I mean, it, it was just kind of fluctuate, but then when Al kind of started taking over, he's like, no, let's run some angles. And then they just, they they popped for Goose Mahoney once and he goes, This is what we're doing. And then it was like, I want to say, I mean, three months later, we were doing like tar and feather matches. And literally, yeah. I mean, there, there was there was a line out the building and there were people, it was the coolest thing ever that had happened to me at that point in my career. And it was just like yeah. that was Al teaching us the difference between drawing money and just doing moves in the ring, because there's a there is a difference. So that was like awesome, awesome lessons. That's cool. Remember, we 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 used to when we 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 were running the Six Flag events, Mm -hmm. and we started drawing so many people Mm -hmm. that Six Flags came back. We were only doing six events a year, Mm -hmm. and they came back and they're like, "Hey, could you double it up? Could you do one every week? We'll do four. You know, we ended up doing fourteen events Mm -hmm. in a season instead of just the normal six because we were drawing so big an audience for the shows every every week. You know, it was. It was amazing. We ran that one year. Remember that one, the last year before they shut it, pulled, pulled the association, WWE mm-hmm. pulled the association. We ran 134 live events that so year. So crazy. So crazy. And, yeah. A lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it was, I mean, that was what, you know, that's what you do it for is you get, you want yeah. to, that's where the, the, the guys, the kids really learn is, 
mm-hmm. is in front of an audience. It's not yes. in an empty building just mm-hmm. doing, it's where they get to go out and they get to figure out what works for them and mm-hmm. why it works and, and how much it works. And, mm-hmm. you know, I lost for a I second. Froze, when the audio froze up again. Out, I'm like, we can just stare at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, bad joke. When you got to explain the joke, bad joke. Bad oh, joke. Bad joke. No, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. That's why. I, I didn't hear you, Joel. So. No, you're okay. Was, um, so. Sorry, Aaron, what do you got? Oh, no. I mean, just, just to Al's point, yeah. Like, in, in Al, it, it's funny because um, in the time I was in developmental for the first time in OVW, like, we went through a plethora of trainers. And, um, you know, Al just had this ability to to just bring out the best in everyone. Uh, and then in doing what works for the individual, like understanding what works for me is not necessarily what's going to work for a Cody Rhodes or a Chris Rombola. So, you know, yeah, everybody's unique and everybody was an individual, you know, and that was, I think that was one of the coolest things is that you all had your own unique style and your own unique characters and your own unique approach. And, you know, what always fascinated me and it always and it frustrated me was you guys would you I always took it as you guys were sent to the developmental to really to find yourselves, to really mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. develop that that intrinsic thing. Because yeah. I I still hold to the fact that if if an audience can't describe you in a sentence or less, you you you're not going to be a star. Absolutely. Um, and you know, you guys learned to be stars there mm-hmm. you learned what it took and what worked for you individually mm-hmm. yeah and but you'd go to back you go up to wwe and that they would want to literally recreate you they'd take all mm-hmm. of that and strip it away from you yep and then they'd wonder why you you didn't thrive in the environment in wwe on the main mm-hmm. roster when the very thing that you had developed they took away and didn't want you to do you know, I, yeah. they did that to, you know, remember um, Atlas to bone and he, you know, yes. and he, oh my he had God, yeah. such a personality and yep. they brought him up there and they cut his hair and they changed his name and they told him he couldn't do all the stuff he did yep. that they hired him for. Yep. And then he, 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 he failed, you know, yeah, like, why would you do that to somebody? It, it, I don't it makes know. No sense at all. Yeah. yeah. It was God. It was crazy. It was, uh, yeah. yeah. Like they, they've done that to a, a few people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they, they did it to you. They did it to. You know, um, they did it to, um, they did it to, uh, Boris to, uh, yeah. you know, Oh yeah. They, you know, he was, he remember how over he was as oh my a gosh, yes. shoot fighter yeah. and had to, had the whole thing down mm-hmm. and then they take him up there and they make him Italian and for, yeah. he floundered for a long time until he yeah. found, found his, know, his own way. Yeah. 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 I mean, I had to remember, I had to go to Puerto Rico and then I had to come back and it was, yeah. you know, that, that was a whole thing. Yeah. That was I, I just, I, I pieced out of the company for a little bit and uh, went in Puerto Rico, worked for a guy named Carlos Colon for about a year and a half. And then eventually just kind of came back, but it, it's, um, it was really weird. And like, again, like who really knows why they do what they do? I mean, sometimes there seems no rhyme or reason, but you just, you do the best you can with what you have. Yeah. And uh, you know, TV time is TV time and it's, it's, it's yeah. priceless. It truly is. Yeah, it really is. Um, I actually, you know what? Huh? Uh, Joel, I was I told this story to Sandy the other day. So uh, Joel and I have a mutual friend out here. That's oh, actually how we met, it's Sandy. Mutual friend. That's it, Al. What's that? It's our only friend. Each of us, and this yes. happens to be this. <laughs> yes, <other>. exactly. <laughs> Do you remember? 
when Greg Gagne came in and he had the band on his head. <laughs> and the big knot on his head. It was a bruise with a perfect circle and a cut in the middle of the bruise. Yes. He told me the story about he had hit his head twice on the on the on a uh, this thing on a fence and had created a huge it looked like a unicorn knot right in the center of his forehead. Yes. And then the bikes were hanging upside down like when he was with us, his he wife hung the, the bikes and didn't tell him. Walked in the garage and hit it again. And he got hit in the head with the, it, it was like this perfect thing. And then oh oh yeah. Yeah, he he yeah. got he he was interesting and like was there remember the snowsuit one when he <laughs> fell off the roof and the wife didn't hear him like first of all what grown man has a snowsuit but this dude was trying to like clear his roof off and I guess he he slipped <sighs> and he was hanging on but like slid he was trying to hang on the roof a, a plane flew over and his wife didn't hear him scream and he let go and he just kind of like he fell off the roof yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, he was so unintentionally. Oh, that's a bad he was, thing. It's a bad he was thing. so he was so unintentionally funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's so many characters like that in wrestling, man. I mean, like it's yeah. and I don't know if you're like on in, in music, you know, you have like your personalities and stuff like that. But God, I mean, just in that in the time that we were in OVW, like the, the people yeah. that came through there, it's just I mean, you, you literally I mean you can't make these characters up. Yeah. yeah. So are you going to be wrestling Billy Corgan soon? <laughs> Me or hell? He is taller Probably. than you. I don't know if you're good one. No, yeah, no, Billy. Al has those uh, uh, standards these days. <laughs> no, Al, and you know what? I, what? What's cool with me right now is, is with NWA, where uh -huh. like Billy's mind for the business. I mean, he just, he gets what the business is. Yeah. And that is something that like, there's people that you know call themselves you know wrestlers or people in yeah. the office that they they don't quite understand the simplicity of what we do and um True. where billy and like his vision and direction in the nwa it's uh it's been amazing to work for and it's just like what you're doing obw you know what i mean how it's it's not rocket science as pat Kinney would say yeah it's not we, nobody's reinvented the wheel you know yeah. it's still round we're mm -hmm. still in 1920 they were selling just the finish you know and Mm -hmm. In 1963, they were selling the finish. In 2021, they're sell you're selling just the finish. You're selling mm -hmm. who you are and why you're doing it. That's it. Mm -hmm. I think all the major companies have become, become so detached from that and are allowing the vocal minority, the, the smart wrestling fan, mm -hmm. to dictate their choices and their direction. And the talent are as well, because the talent no longer wrestle for the audience. The talent now wrestle for each other. Yep. And they wrestle for someone who's writing a report in the audience. And, and they equate success based on a critical acclaim as opposed to, like I tried to explain to you guys, that our success was based on how many people attended the show. It was mm -hmm. never based on who wrote a report mm -hmm. about what we did. I could care less about that. Mm -hmm. It was always based on how many people were in attendance, you know. Yes. And when we did, we, if you, I mean, I think back and that was really one of the more fun, it was a stressful time. There was a lot of aggravation, a lot of stress, but it was probably one of the more fun and more creative. And like, we told such great stories and had such great characters and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and created really awesome moments, you know, mm. remember all the, the storyline with Jack Bull and, and, and oh my how, God. how ridiculously over that guy was. Oh. I mean, oh my god that was 
I'll, I'll never forget. Um, so, oh no, so Jack Bull was essentially evil Knievel. Um, yeah, but he washed was, up and drunk. Yes, a washed up stuntman, like a failed stuntman who was wrestling. And I mean, oh my God, this was, he would do these stunts when we would do the, like the non-televised events too, to where like he was going to sit in an airtight soundproof container the the whole time there is no oxygen in it and everything and you know he's it, it's a complete it's a deprivation chamber and like jack can you hear us nope <laughs> you know it was stuff like that and um yeah one time i mean it, when you gave him his comeback because he would smoke on the in the ring and he had a flask he like he came in the ring dropped a cigarette a guy would charge him as he would pick his cigarette up he would come up the guy would charge and then take a backdrop out of the ring you know yeah. what I mean? He'd take a swig, the guy would kick him in the stomach, and he'd spit the whiskey out in the guy's face. I mean, it was brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. It's uh yeah. <laughs> it's he was he was so ridiculously over. And and so you understand the psychology. Um as as a wrestler, as a babyface, as a good guy, you can you can only think that the 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 babyface the in the the protagonist can do is try to win and, and, and never, it is always honest. is always forthright. Uh, doesn't break the rules. Jack, um, wrestled, uh, in one of the six flag events, um, was wrestling a young, a young kid named Seth Skyfire who everybody loved. And, um, and he promised that he was going to do a stunt where he was going to take a motorcycle, run, ride it down the ramp and somehow bounce the wheels and jump the ring. Um, and he, he started, he didn't know how to ride a motorcycle for real. So he starts the motorcycle up and he literally pops the clutch. It, it pops a wheelie. He drops the bike. He stands up and begins to tell the audience that he can't jump the ring because the wind is, is blowing in the wrong direction. He gets in the ring and during the match, the crowd, he's so over that even after he lied to them, sold them the idea that he was going to do a stunt that he never did. Um, they started cheering for him against the other guy that they loved and they loved him more because you just couldn't help but love him. He was, he was such a clod and such a, uh, <laughs> so entertaining that you just couldn't, couldn't resist it. He had so say the publicist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and also Remember? the bike was a mini bike. It was like a child's yeah. motorcycle. Yeah. It was this little yeah. tiny thing. And this dude's like six, four, two eighty, or whatever he was. Two eighty, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Co actually they Cody and, and Cody Rhodes and and um remember those guys they they pitched it to me at Six Flags one time and, and I was like, well okay, let's give it a try. Because mm -hmm. remember he was Jack Bull was not very good wrestler, but as Jack, as fearless Jack Bull, he was amazing. He was just, he was insane. incredible. Insane. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh my God. That was so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in music, right? Like where, yeah. what I'm interested in, Joel, is how, you know, with you guys in a band, right? And, uh, and like in, in the music world, is there like on a certain level before you make it to a national stage, um, is, is there like a, a developmental process in the music industry to where like when you're trying to find yourself like work in smaller venues and stuff like that um i never did i was a roadie i don't know how to play anything i used to write lyrics a little bit here and there mm -hmm. but yeah the bars you play in the yeah. small venues it's tough man it's mm -hmm. hard work and then you do van yeah. so you all load in the van and you and you 
you literally live together in a van. It's tough. It's hard. I, I didn't do that. I went straight to Stone Temple Pilots. That was my first tour. I got very lucky with the whole situation. Right I never did a van tour. Now, though, saying that, when you're working for a big band and they book a small club, it's kind of like what you were saying now, where you're performing for 100 people. You're like, hey, you guys are going to see the Chili Peppers, you know, the Chili Peppers play tonight. And there's 40 people in the audience. I, too, I'm thinking like, oh, this is going to be really neat because... Mm -hmm. Like for Scott Weiland, I wrote in my book, it was so cool to see him command 40, 50,000 people. And he would, they'd be, you could hear a pin drop when they would mm -hmm. do their acoustic stuff. But when he would go back to a club, he'd walk on the stage because what you forget is he had done this for years. Mm -hmm. And so you've got the 100, 250 people in there. And that's where the band was worth watching because mm -hmm. uh, you had that personal aspect that you lose maybe with a big big audience yeah, yeah like a, a few years ago i saw billy at a show out here and i forget the name of the venue it was like at a um by a cemetery out here you may know it Joel. um oh hollywood forever it might have been yeah so it, it was I, I couldn't tell if there was a thousand or a couple hundred people there but it was it was an intimate setting sold out but like just to see him do what he did and like how he interacted and stuff and like he just he has i mean He's so good. The, Dude, like his voice just has a richness to it that's like, and then like, you know, like with the lyrics too and and, and just like with different instruments. Um, it's, yeah, it's, like it was. It's seeing true genius. You know, when you've worked for yeah. a lot of these guys and mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's the same in your world. You've worked for a lot of these guys. You've been around the block, but then somebody still stands out that one makes you want to go back the next day because there's other guys out there that are even better or ask, you know, it's very exciting to see. Billy Corgan, watch his performances on Howard Stern. They're amazing. He's really, yeah. really good. Because with an acoustic, yeah. you get to hear, you get to hear his voice better. You get to hear his lyrics, you know, and you can mm -hmm. understand this guy, he's a true artist. He's really good at what he does. And then like you guys, you know, Al, you diversified quite a bit throughout your career. Billy Corgan did the same. He was an MTV VJ <laughs> while yeah. he was a big, while he was still a big rock star. You know, watch the one that they did an interview with him and Nick Cave, and Nick Cave's such a dick to him. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like, does he even care? He's like one of the biggest bands in the world. What does he give a mm. shit? <laughs> I don't know. It's neat. Why is he into wrestling? What happened? Is he just, he loves the sport and he just got into it? Or do you guys know? Uh, he's been a fan since childhood That's probably and just been a lifelong fan. Yeah. Neil Young owns Just, uh, Lionel Trains. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah, loves trains. Yeah. So he he got divorced, and the one thing in he, he got the train company. <laughs> he keeps the trains. You know, he's love trains. Hey, for him, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's neat, man. But it's 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 cool to see Billy like, because again, like the first conversation I had with him, um, because and and we had a mutual friend in uh, Natalia, and so like Natalia, kind of you. Know, talked to him about me when I was coming there and stuff and like told me about him. So like, we just, Hey, what's going on. And then like, we had this in-depth conversation about WrestleMania three, which I think one of the greatest <laughs> matches of all time, if you're looking at it from a performance standpoint to where the people did not sit down ever is Adrian Adonis versus Roddy Piper. I mean, you know, you have Hogan and Andre Savage and Steamboat, which was great. But if you look at Adonis and Piper from a performance professional wrestling standpoint what this business truly is that match it doesn't get nearly enough credit and then so he's he's talking to me about it and then he's like telling me about my character he's like oh yes and i always thought like when you wore the pink but it was juxtaposed to you know you came down 
and it was very intellectual. Like he got what I was doing. And, um, you know, I, that was at a point in my career where I was very much like thinking outside the box and the fact that like, wow, like, you know, Billy Corgan gets it. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, that, that was so cool. And like, we've always kind of, him and I have always been on the same page with things. That's why, like when he called me, um, I was in Hawaii filming a TV show and then he's like, Hey, um, you need to come back to NWA. And I'm um, like, oh, I gave it a shot. But then it was just from the, the way it was presented the studio, it was, it was done correctly. Like it's what wrestling fans, in my opinion, um, want. And it is, it's an alternative, you know, and, and, and again, philosophically, I, I don't think there's really much difference in like what we're doing and what Al's doing. It, it, it's the wheel is still around. Yeah. Speaking of that then. So what's it like you train Dan Severn? Was it exciting for you to try? It's not something different. It's, but, uh, or maybe it is something different. It was you, you keep switching up your career, you know, where you, you open up a training camp, you do all these things. What was it like going into the UFC world? Um, <clears throat> not fun. <laughs> it's uh, it's a different world. There are a lot of a lot of athletes that are in, you know at that time because the, the the UFC I was a part of was is completely different than the UFC you guys have now. So the UFC that involved? I was a part was it, of was it Dan asked you to get involved? What what brought yeah you? Dan yeah Dan approached me and uh, about wanting to help train him. Um, but we didn't know, you know, unlike now, um, you know, you, you go back then it, you had to fight three round, three fights. Mm. It was a tournament style. You had no idea who you were facing. Um, and unlike now where everyone has a ground game, everyone has a stand up game, everyone has a certain amount of a submission game, um, you know. So, and you can watch, you can watch fight, you can watch videos and you can, you can use the internet and you can kind of do some background research and things like that. We, we didn't know who, we didn't even know who was, go, who else was going to participate because you didn't know until you got there. And then when you, you know, Dan, for instance, the first fight, he fought a Muay Thai guy who was completely covered from head to toe in baby oil. Anthony um, Macias. We, yeah. And we, we, you know, I cussed the referee uh, referee out for not uh, doing anything about it. And then um, the next guy was a long style karate form of uh, fighting. Um, and Joe luckily I had, yeah. And I had actually, I don't know how you remember these guys' names, Aaron. I didn't. Um, I am a big early UFC mark, which I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and let you talk. But I, I <laughs> you no, cut a hell no. of a promo. And that was the first conversation I had with you. When you were coming yeah. from on the announcer. <laughs> yeah, on the ring announcer. On the announcer, because he pissed me off. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I had some experience with long style karate. So I knew, that I, I told Dan, I said, hey, when the guy steps back, he's going to throw this type of kick, duck up underneath him and take him down and hook him. And, and Dan did exactly what I told him and, and it worked out perfectly. Um, and then finally, you know, that was, that was the, that, that, that fight was where the, commentator came up and was like hey uh you know what do you you know you just won your second fight you're gonna face hoist gracie in the finals what are you gonna do now and i was looking at him and like dan didn't say anything and i just looked at him and i said well he's gonna go back in the locker room and have sex what do you think he's gonna do like what a stupid question i knew he just wanted him to put hoist over and you know and then the guy just took the mic away and just ran away he wouldn't interview us anymore so <laughs> it was the best <laughs> and when i was a kid like because I, I, I was 
I wasn't like uh, I I did a little bit of kung fu when I was a kid, so I was a, a big big fan. And I, I said Mark for for those of the non wrestling people that are listening, a Mark means a fan. Um, and the first like four or five UFCs I absolutely loved, yeah. but I was also a wrestling fan. And Al was under a different name at the time, um, which I, I won't say because I've learned I know better. <laughs> but he he was wrestling. We'll call him LC. And yeah. I, I I remember going, wait a minute. Is, is that him? No, wait, a, this is wrestling, but that looks just like him. And then, and it was always in the back of my mind. And then years later, uh, when Al was our trainer over W, it was like the first question I had for him was like, Hey, you weren't in Dan's corner at the UFC. And he did. And I just, I popped. It was so funny. I was like, Oh my God, I knew it. And yeah, uh, but no, like, like, God. Yeah. Like the, the first couple UFCs were just, it, it was, they were incredible. They were shit show. They were shit oh. show. You know, and 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 I remember that UFC. There was a boxer. The guy was gassed to the gills. Black guy, um, just he was he, and he came out and he wore one. Do you remember the guy fight? He came out and wore one boxing glove. Art something. Art Jameson. Yes. Art Jameson. Yes. He came out with one boxing glove mm-hmm. and had a, his other hand free. And I was like, well, if he hits somebody, he's you know the, this ain't gonna be long. But if they get him off his feet, he's done. And sure mm-hmm. enough, he tried to catch the guy, and he just shot in on him took him down that was it he was yeah. over it was over so yeah it and was a, I, it was a very different time joe san remember joe san was in in there oh yeah i remember yeah. we we're flying back from oklahoma city mm-hmm. and and they were on the, they were in the back of the flight we we're on a mm-hmm. continental airlines flight mm-hmm. and joe san and and chemo were back air and they were they were oh i hope this plane crashes we're gonna go see the lord we're gonna go to heaven i hope this plane crash and everybody was getting upset because they were saying that so like some waitress comes the stewardess goes back and she's like please guys can you stop saying that and for whatever reason like they kept they kept at it they just kept you know chemo's like uh you know if the plane crashes i'll be fine i'll be going to heaven i don't know about the rest of you and all of a sudden i'm not kidding the plane goes up it goes down and then it literally went completely sideways and then goes back and just kind of bounces to where we all just i thought we were going to die Cause we hit some like air pocket or something and then nobody said anything. Yeah. And I jumped up out of my seat and I turned around and I said, well, I guess we just about did it. I hope you're fucking happy now. <laughs> and and you no. Know, and I sat back down and um, everybody started laughing on the plane and they didn't say another word for the rest of the flight. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, that was, uh, it was Keith Hackney. Remember him and Joe? Yeah. Just, but Keith yeah, Hackney kept punching him in the balls. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That was just Keith Hackney was my favorite, like UFC. He guy did white know. tiger Kung Fu. Yes. Salviano's white tiger Kempo karate Kung Fu. I remember it. I mean, yes. this, I don't ask me how I remember all this stuff. I, I know, I don't remember anything about my own career, but like this early <laughs> UFC stuff when he fought Emmanuel Yarbrough. Yes. And, and, like in this guy, right. He was six, eight. Le- He's striking him in the back of the head. Oh, but that, it, those are like lethal blows. He could, you could kill a man with those. Yes, but like that first punch when because Keith Hackney yeah. was only about like five eleven, right? And he came, yeah. he just came like here, and he caught him, and then you saw this mountain of a man just like crumble down. It was, I, I still say, if Hackney hadn't have broken his hand, yeah, he would have probably done. I, I don't want to say beat Gracie, but he the key. The, and I told Dan this before oof. we went there. I said, you can't, I said, please don't shoot in on him. Don't shoot in on him. Mm-hmm. Don't take him down. Keep him on his feet. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And Dan, when we got to that point, they took Dan away and had a conversation with Dan. So I still, to this day, Dan never smartened me up, but I, I'm almost positive they told him to put Hoist over. And not 30 seconds into the fight, Dan shoots in on him and double legs and takes him down. And I'm like, no, don't, you know? And the next time, the next UFC, remember UFC five, Kimo fought Gracie mm-hmm. in the second round. Mm-hmm. And he kept him on his feet the entire time. Yeah. And Gracie was too blown up to come out and fight the final round. Yeah. 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 That's the key to beating, you know, beating those guys, those Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys is to keep them on their feet. Yeah. You know it. Yeah. It, that's it, it. God, it was incredible. But like, I, I remember when uh, Hoist was going for the arm bar and Joel, I know we got off into a side engine, but no, this, this is just is fun cool. stuff. Like cool. got him in yeah. uh, the arm bar and like Hackney just kept nailing him. And I mean, if, like, God, if his hand wasn't broken, he would yeah. have, oh, God, it was so He'd cool. probably you know, won. It's funny. He'd have beat boys. Yeah, but it's funny because that essentially, it that's how wrestling started, right? To where, like, again, yes. what, whatever conversation happened with Dan, I mean, and I, it's fine. I have a friend of mine who was a um, in, in the corner of another UFC champion. And mm-hmm. uh, before a fight, I, I swear uh, a similar, he told me a very similar story to where him and uh, Dana had a private conversation. Sure. And yeah. Um, Listen, so, when it comes, it's a business. And when mm-hmm. it comes, you know, the only thing that's fake about wrestling is the finish. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the only thing that's fake about MMA, just the finish. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the only thing that's fake about boxing, just the finish, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you listen at the end of the day, we're always selling who and why mm-hmm. you, the only reason anybody watched that Conor McGregor and, and Mayweather fight was because of who was fighting and why. You know, the only mm-hmm. reason that anybody watches any MMA fights is because of who's fighting and why. The yeah. only reason you watch professional wrestling mm-hmm. is because of who and why. And if you could ever get the boys to quit trying these days to sell what and go back to selling just the who and the why, mm-hmm. the business would completely turn around. Well, I don't think Vince wants stars <laughs> because if, if I mean, and, and look, I'm not trying to sound whatever, but it, 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 it's happened to me. It happened to me three times to yeah. where when you reach a certain point, I mean, I was the number one heel selling T-shirt in the company. Yeah. I was the uh-huh. number three selling overall T-shirt in the company. All of a sudden, my merchandise is yanked off of live events. Um, and like that creatively, like they, and, and this is just my opinion. I don't think Vince wants anyone to become that much of a star to where they don't need him. And I think that's why you see the WWE's ratings at an all-time low. Because look, we're, in, you know, especially with 2020, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And there's there's need for original programming. Everyone should be watching wrestling, and no yeah. one is because no one cares about <clears throat> the actual people. Exactly what Al says. No one cares about the characters. Right, and Vince has the wrestling business. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The wrestling business is yours. The wrestling business is the wrestlers' business, mm-hmm. and Vince has always known that because it's all. When I broke in years ago, it was always us against the office. Mm-hmm. Okay, because we we really we it was our business mm-hmm. and and the office knew it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But and the and you know, and the 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 what the deal was the boys always tried to do the least and get paid the most. And the office tried to get the boys to do the most and pay them the least. That mm-hmm. was just that's just what the wrestling business is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Vince has somehow completely flip-flopped it to where he has convinced all of the wrestlers that it is his business and that it's the writer's business and that they 
the wrestler doesn't make themselves a star that Vince and WWE makes you a star Mm -hmm. and nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you made yourself a star, Aaron, and then you capitalize because that's the, that's the business prop. The business plan is for you, me, the promoter to create a platform and to give you that platform to allow you to make yourself a star and then together we capitalize on it by me exploiting it and then we make money. Yep. But, you know, and that's all I ever did with you guys in OVW was give you a platform to allow you to make yourself stars and that we cap- and then we, we capitalized mm-hmm. on it and we exploited it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but Vince has done such a great job of rewriting the narrative to where now everyone in wrestling believes the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's amazing. And then, and as such, his business has suffered for it. You know? Yes. Yes. And it, it's becoming a lost art is, is what yes. really bothers me. And like what, what I'm noticing too, and like in, uh, in NWA, we're, we're pretty good about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a few people that actually understand how to do it, mm-hmm. but more and more like with, with the younger people coming in and like, or in the newer people, like they are so, far removed from like what you just said which is what this industry is and to where like oh, i'm gonna do this flip that flip what um we're like i i I write the show championship from hollywood i'm on the booker there right so i've and it was just like when when you tell these people it's funny because i feel like you sometimes i'm like you know when when you tell people something it's almost like they what huh and then when it actually works it they go oh okay and uh and a lot of them like two of them have gotten signed i mean not because of me not because anything i did but like you see them relax, you see them understand what it is and, and you see them not worried about like, I'm going to make my flip look good. And which look, I'm all for doing flips and cool moves, right? Sure, yeah, nothing against yeah. that, but make it mean something. No one ever paid money to see a backflip in a professional wrestling, right? They, they pay no. to see the person doing it. Ray Mysterio, you know, are, in my opinion, one of the greatest luchadors, if not, well, the greatest in North America by far uh, and, and, and actually all over the world, right? The most famous, you know, he does all these great moves and then he, the biggest move he has is the guys on the middle rope. He sits around and just does a kick, but it's the greatest thing ever because Ray knows how to do that, you know? And it, so it's not the actual move. It's like you said, it's the person doing it. Yeah. So who and the why? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, when they pulled your action figure out, were you pissed or did you, did you not give a shit? I uh, know. I mean, I was, I was shocked. Um, you know, that, that there's an interesting story with this. Um, I found out that Monday when I was in Philadelphia um, and the only, the way I found out was at the gym prior to Monday night raw and uh, blue meanie and I were at the gym in Philadelphia and on all the TVs, all the major news, uh, the TV networks, the TV affiliates, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, um, the top news stories were the mayoral race in Philadelphia, in no particular order either, um, the Bosnian peace process, and the Walmart pulling my action figure off the shelf. That was literally how I found out that it was like a national story. And I arrived at TV and I walked in the building. I'll never forget this. I walk in the building. Aaron will probably laugh when he hears this because he'll, he'll understand and um, Vince is sp- speaking to Tommy Blodgett, one of the writers. And 
he turns, he sees me, and he comes walking up with a big smile on his face, and he goes, Al, what the hell have you been up to? And I go, Vince, I have no idea. Like, like I was about to tell him, I just found out. And he just gets this look on his face, turns immediately around, does a 180, and just walks back to Tom Blodgett. Like, he didn't just start a conversation with me. So I'm standing there, like, confused, and I go, I, I yell. At, I go, well, you know what? I'm going to go on down the locker room. If you want to continue the conversation you just started, just come find me. I'll, I'll be glad to speak with you. And I just walked off because I, uh -huh. I was like, who does that? Uh -huh. Who starts a conversation and then just walks, like, walks up to you and goes, hey, how you doing? You go to answer and he goes, fuck it, and just turns around and walks away. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. You know, don't you? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, yep. I, to this day, I have never experienced anything like that with another human being in my life. Never. Mm -hmm. It just you, you completely like he's about to have this big conversation with you and then just, nope, nope, second thought. Yeah, I don't even want to talk to you. <laughs> I've gotten contradictions in the same sentence. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I uh, just was like, what? Like, Coach you told me to I, do this. Yeah. Yep. And then he'll turn around and tell you he act like he never said it to you. Yes. And then when you agree with him, he says, no, do it this way, which is the original yeah. way, which is what you know. I'm not, I am not exaggerating at all. That yeah, was when I truth. mentally, I, I mentally just checked out of there. I was like, there's nothing I can do that can, can't like, win. I, I'm not going to try to rationalize anything. It just, no. it is what it is. I'm not, not ragging on a guy. He does his thing. He does it well. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, that's when Aaron, not Damien Sanda, when Aaron was like, yeah. I'll okay. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. Yeah. It reminds me of this guy I used to work for. He worked for Santana and he said that they'd have pep talks basically. And he'd be like, so imagine that we have a table and all of you are like the legs of the table and the band are like the pancakes on top of the table. And this is like the whole crew that they'd be looking at him like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Wow. Everything was one of these illusions. Imagine, Brother, imagine that. Listen, Joel, if yeah. he would, if Vince would just do that, I would be cool with it. Okay. Yes. The, cool yes. Aaron will test you. It's like this. D Joel, when you do your podcast, what I want you to do, okay, is on your introduction, I want you to read off Al and Aaron's accomplishments so that you can let the audience know who they are and what they're about. You'll begin to read off Aaron's accomplishments, and then you will hear in your IFB in your ear, what the hell are you doing? Why are you reading off his accomplishments? The audience doesn't want to hear that. And he'll completely contradict what he told you to do and be mad at you because you're doing what he told you to do. <laughs> it's a little tough. I got You'll go out one night and you'll come back and you'll go, why'd you do that? That's wrestling. You don't do that here. We do sports entertainment. You'll go out and the next night and do exactly what he told you to do. You'll come back and he'll go, what the hell was that? It's wrestling on the marquee. We're not selling sport, just entertainment. We're selling wrestling. And you're like, but last night you told me. Yeah. Yeah. You get yep. to the point where why even argue. Okay. Because, no, I... But he is. Yeah. None of it makes any sense. Mm -hmm. None of it. We should run the world, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we would do good, man. I don't right. want to Billy do that. Believe all me. Man all night. 
I I ribbed. Oh, we lost him. Hold on. Oh, he's back. We got we, we missed your profound wisdom on changing the world. I said I ribbed myself enough by buying a wrestling company. I don't want to be in charge <laughs> of the world. And you're still in Louisville, right, Al? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm hoping that in the next couple months here, I'll definitely uh, be that way again. So we'll have to link oh, up. Oh, I'd love to have you. Yeah. Yeah, please. I'd love to see you. Yeah. All right, Joe. Look, you've had me on your podcast. I appreciate it and everything. You brought my friend Al here. Um, I see that you have an adult beverage. So I, I know you spend some time in the lake and everything, but I just want you to know I would crush you drinking a beer. I'll meet you at Andrea's house. Andrea and Kyle, let's go. Dude, I could beat you with, with a beer in hand and my other hand behind my back. Mm-hmm. And it would be at Sandy's house. Thank you. Al, would you train me? Uh, I would definitely train you. And again, I agree with you. It would have to be at Sandy's house. Because listen, if we're going to train, we're going to train where we have supplies. And the supplies are a plenty at Sandy's house. They are. Uh, they, they, uh, actually, that is true. <laughs> true. The place is actually really cool. If yeah. You you would be like, yeah. This is a good decision here, boys. <laughs> yeah, that is true. They'll get a kick out of that. I think they will too. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. I really appreciate it, Al. It's nice to see you again. I'm hey, thank you. Here. That was good seeing you. It was good seeing you too, Aaron. Yeah, you too, Al. All those years ago where you came and helped me out on my movie meant a lot to me. So... It was cool. Well, I appreciate you having me on it. It was fun to do. All right. All right Take guys. care. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.